No Father's Day talk? Oh, yeah. Happy Father's Day. Yeah, you too, kid. All right. Let's move on. (laughs) This is The Greg Cody Show with Greg Cody. Pardon it. Here's your host, Greg Cody. I want to invite everybody to come on a, on an imagination journey with me for just a minute. Would you do that? Okay. <laughs> All right. Do I have to close my eyes? I, it, you know what? It might be better if you did. Imagine this. You walk into your local McDonald's expecting, as always, to walk out with a sack of cheeseburgers and fries. <laughs> but here's what happens. You walk into that McDonald's and you find that overnight it's turned into a fine dining upscale restaurant with candlelit tables. Okay? Really? If you say so. Yeah. You ventured into a McDonald's. That's right. And here's what I I want you to imagine as well. You turn on your TV and there's a news conference from the Vatican. And Pope Francis announces he's leaving the Catholic Church to become a nightclub comic. Okay. Stay with me here. Well, I'm confused. I'm struggling. The Greg Cody Show next week. You tuned it in on Monday, as always. But instead of the Greg Cody Show, you find out that the podcast is now an international think tank on the subject of global economics. Okay, now. What is happening? Here's the point I'm arriving at. Are you all hip to what's going on with Victoria's Secret, the lingerie chain? (laughs) Oh, wow. Look at that setup by Greg Cody. The subject is extreme rebranding, extreme makeovers. And what Victoria's Secret is doing is hilarious to me. Because until a minute and a half ago, they were the ultimate sexist brand uh, full of Barbie doll models with wings, uh, wearing nothing but underwear, living in Hugh Hefner's America. Jeez. And now there's a complete pivot, and they now represent female empowerment led by none other than Megan Rapino. What they're doing, <laughs> I know, I love Megan Rapino. I would buy underwear that she wears. But what they're doing is is like nothing that I can think of uh, in terms of brands going from A to Z overnight. And and can they get away with it? I mean, I mean, they're ma- they're doing the thing they probably should do, right? They're you know they they want to speak for all women, not just you know a, the, the a model. The what they're doing is they're getting rid of their angels division, right? And all the angels always seem to look exactly the same way. So what they're doing is they're just going for a more diverse yes. group of women that represents them. So, I mean, I get you making fun of it because it's them trying to overnight act like they weren't trying to sell on some of those right. things. But let's tread lightly here. It's 2021. I mean, they're doing the right thing. It's in the wake of the Me Too movement. I get that. Um, but but even Rapino herself in accepting this job, because she had to tread lightly. You know, it, it's her brand that's all of a sudden involved with Victoria's Secret. And she herself said, referred to Victoria's Secret as, quote, patriarchal, sexist, uh, viewing not just what it meant to be sexy, but what the clothes were trying to accomplish through a male lens and through what men desired. Um, and it was very much marketed toward younger women, uh, a message she called really harmful. So Rapino was extremely critical of what um, Victoria's Secret had represented and now I credit them for pivoting. I just think it's such an extreme, uh, sudden gesture. I'm wondering how it's going to go over uh, with women in general, because their market share had dipped from uh, 32% to 21% in the last few years. So this is a desperate 
company whose owner had been linked to Jeffrey Epstein. This is a company that desperately needed the makeover. It's finally giving itself. Jim Cramer over here. <laughs> when was the last time you said market cap? Who's Jim Cramer? He's the guy for, oh my God. <laughs> no, seriously. He's the CNBC like main like money guy, okay. like, you know, mad money. <laughs> I don't know him. At any rate, I, I both uh, laugh at and credit Victoria's Secret. You can say what you want about the the, the rebranding and like you know the timing of it. They admit I, I liked in the article that I read. They at least admitted that we are way behind on this. But they got themselves the right cachet by by getting Megan Rapinoe to buy in to help reshape that brand and be a spokesperson for them. Because I will trust what she tells me, and she's right. When I saw Victoria's Secret as a teenager, early twenties, I'm like, all I saw was what I wanted to see. But I'm not going to be wearing those clothes. It's not my comfort. She was right. It was strictly through my lens of what sexy could be or should be or you know any other males and she's right these are women's clothes they should be the ones dictating what works what is sexy what isn't and helping lead the company forward that way before we um get too deep into the podcast i want to mention we have a, a very exciting guest today i'm genuinely uh thrilled to to bring him to you he's chris bosch the great hall of fame basketball player who's uh, just an icon in Toronto and Miami, his two NBA stops. And he's got a new book out. We talk about that. I want to mention Vincent Van Gogh, if you don't mind, uh, if, if that's not too jarring. What uh, kind of acid dream did you have last night? Because you're all over the place. <laughs> well, I'm going to um, one of these Van Gogh uh, immersive experiences um, in a couple of days. And I did some studying on Van Gogh because I, I just knew him as a great artist, you know, a great painter uh, right up there with uh, Picasso and, and Monet and some of the others. Do you, are you guys hip to what Van Gogh went through in his life? No. I am a little bit, but you, be, before you go into that, you were really hip on saying or asking if we're hip to things the last couple of weeks, and I love it. Keep it going, Greg. Yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm trying to bring back uh, words like hip and groovy. You know, it's a work in, <laughs> it's a work in progress. Um, Van, the only thing I knew about Van Gogh was that he lost part of his ear, okay? The reason he lost part of his left ear was that he was uh, prone to psychotic episodes and took half of his own ear off with a razor. He's a guy, his, uh, <laughs> his most valuable paintings, his nine most valuable paintings have sold for a combined $952 million, almost a billion dollars. But during his lifetime... He was commercially unsuccessful. He lived as as a destitute man uh, in the throes of depression and poverty until in 1890, uh, with a, a handgun to the chest, he took his own life. Just a remarkable uh, story, which I really didn't know much about. And um, I have nowhere to go with that, but I just wanted to... As you lose your voice. Yeah. <clears throat> Pardon me. <laughs> Gather yourself here. <laughs> Um, Christopher didn't want me to talk about Cole Beasley, but I think I want to anyway. <laughs> that, that, all right. If we're going to do, if you're going to do that to me, then like, I'm going to expose everything. I just don't think that these, like where this conversation leads is, you know, you're not going to, everyone knows how you feel about these type of issues. You're not going to change anyone's mind. So I just feel like this kind of becomes white noise, this conversation. But if you want to go ahead and do it, go ahead. It's your podcast. Well, uh, the NFL and, and you can credit or damn the NFL for what it's doing. And I don't think there's any in between. I, have, I think you have to pick sides. Uh, the NFL is flatly punishing uh, players who choose not to be vaccinated. Uh, basically, if you're vaccinated in the NFL, uh, you have all your privileges. You don't have to wear a mask. You can move freely. 
If you are not vaccinated, like Cole Beasley and Josh Allen, his quarterback, uh, making the Buffalo Bills officially the betting favorite uh, to to have uh, COVID issues this season, issues, then you are really being uh, put under the gun. You know, you have to. You can't leave your hotel on road trips. You you can't socialize with other players within six feet. Uh, you have to wear your mask at all. T- there are just very serious restrictions. And Cole Beasley is very adamant about anti-vax and Hang on. <laughs> ah, this is, this is the weekly phone call brought to you by Nelly's Diner. Hello, Cole. <laughs> yes, I'm sorry I had to criticize you, but uh, I'm sorry. I just feel strongly about this. All right. Get your shot like everybody else. All right. Good night. This segment just got more palatable. <laughs> okay. Um, look, if uh, all I'm saying is if, if you're not willing to get a vaccine against something that's killed 600,000 Americans and counting, just that's fine. That's your right. It's 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 not against the law not to get a vaccine. Just don't be surprised when you have a little more hardship moving forward than people who are vaccinated. That's all I would tell Cole Beasley. But they don't have more hardship other than apparently these football players. Everybody else who's not vaccinated can just go about their lives and because like businesses are in this spot where they can't really ask people if they've been vaccinated. So like there aren't aren't very many professions where if you aren't vaccinated, you're going to be essentially punished. Like I'm I'm vaccinated. I'm not trying to make the argument and defend Cole Beasley, but I understand the frustration of uh, my neighbor uh, isn't vaccinated and he's been able to kind of go back to his normal life. But because I'm in the NFL, they just want to have this extreme policy, which it is extreme. You can agree whether you agree with like or not. That's an extreme policy. The NFL has that right uh, as a as a private business. And as another anecdotal example, I just read that the Foo Fighters held a concert where you could only go if you showed proof of vaccination. That's the Foo Fighters right. Um, you know, if, if there are certain there are certain areas in life moving forward where you, you sort of have to be vaccinated to make it easy on yourself. If a cruise ship tells me I can't take a cruise on their line without a vaccine card, hey, deal with it. I think besides the phone call part of this segment, all anybody hears during this is like vaccinations, politics, blah, yeah. blah. Like, like I want someone to tweet us. If we just changed your mind, if you just had an awakening because of what you just experienced on this show and you're now on your way to get vaccinated, <laughs> please let us know because... <laughs> I'm just trying to prove the point that like I like this was a fine conversation we just had, but I don't I don't know if it was really enjoyable. Like, yeah, do you just listen to all that? Did you find that enjoyable? Well, I mean, I've got things to say. I don't know how enjoyable they'll be, but I mean, Greg, you brought up the Foo Fighters. Foo Fighters transition here. Did you know that they are releasing a Bee Gees tribute album in a couple of weeks? You know, I actually did hear about that. I didn't read the whole article, but I think it was Rolling Stone. I saw some reference to that, and that thrills me because I like the Foo Fighters. Uh, I loved the Bee Gees. Absolutely loved the Bee Gees. No, they're my number two favorite band, and Dave Grohl loves disco. That's his favorite type of drumming. He, he's he's admitted, so I'm really excited to see how this one's going to turn out. Right. Yeah, I um, I wish I would have seen the Bee Gees live before two of the three of them pass away. You know, they're from, they were largely from Miami. Some of their best music was recorded down here, and that's one of the few uh, music-related regrets I have is uh, not to have seen the Bee Gees live. Um, do you have a Bee Gees decal? <laughs> You mean like a Greg Cody show decal? No, I don't. By the way, the box has arrived. There we go. Wow, what, a, they, what a beautiful they, decal. It is beautiful. They look like Greg Cody show decals. <laughs> I have a thousand of them, but I, I do want to say one thing. The company I used was called U Printing, uh, the letter U, and their their customer service was top notch. The, the price was fair. 
I think the workmanship is perfect. It's exactly what I wanted. Did you get these for free? No. Now I'm feeling like you like are, got sold. No, okay. because if, if they were going to give them to me for free, they won't now because I do have one small complaint. <laughs> they were supposed to be four inches by four inches square. And in actuality, because I measured, they're three and a half by three and a half inches. Now, wow, that may sound like I'm quibbling. That may sound like a small deal. But percentage-wise, that's like buying a foot-long sub and getting a 10-incher. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I mean, if you're going to say you're four inches, be four inches. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think we can all we can all relate. No, Greg, to that. <laughs> there, there's a standard to that too, though. When you go to go to um, your your home improvement store and you buy a two by four, it's not two inches by four inches. It's more like uh, one one and three quarters inch by like three and three quarters or something like that. It's more it's more like that because the wood shrinks as it dries. So maybe they're operating by that standard. So you're saying my my decal at one time was four by four, but in transit shrunk a half an inch. As it dried out, yeah, yeah, okay. because that's how that's how it works. It's science, Greg. Don't question it. <laughs> right, that's true. Yeah, although questioning science seems to be the rage at this point. But um, have you gotten any good suggestions on how to distribute these decals? Uh, not that I've looked for. <laughs> I really don't know. You know, I I'm still stuck on the idea of uh, going retro with um, self-addressed stamped envelopes, but I don't know whether that's going to work or not. It, it's just way too much uh, of a complication that I've brought on by myself. <laughs> By buying a thousand decals that I absolutely uh, didn't need. What show is this? What do you mean? Like, where are we right now? Decals are us podcast. By the way, you know what occurred to me in a dream the other day? Is that Paul George, the basketball player, is half of the Beatles. Because when I hear Paul George, I go John and Ringo. The order was always John, Paul, George, and Ringo. And right in the middle of that is Paul George. How bizarre is that? Man, if his name was John Paul, that would be crazy. It's almost like you read that in a tweet from Jason Isbell. Did he tweet that? Yeah, he did. When? <laughs> a couple nights ago. Oh, really? I wow, look at Greg Cody stealing material. <laughs> I, sw I swear on my life I did not see that tweet. You know, I, I, I kind of blame Yeti for that because nobody saw that tweet besides Yeti. And yet, like, that, that could have just gone totally under the radar and he called you Yeah, out. you're fired, Yeti. <laughs> um, so Yeti makes me seem like a plagiarist. Uh, based on something. Now, I happen to know who Jason Isbell is. Uh, <laughs> that's, a, that's a shocker. What's his, uh, what's he called? The 404? What's his group called? It's Jason Isbell on the 400 unit. The 400 unit, right. I actually like some of his music. I like Americana music. I'm a huge Brandy Carlisle fan, uh, as an example, uh, who I think uh, Jason Isbell is married to a woman who's in the High Women supergroup with Brandy Carlisle, but I can't think of her name. Who? Yeah, Amanda Shires. Yes. She's also in the 400 unit with him, and she's incredible. That's correct. I have no idea. <laughs> Poor Chris. Right. Dad. Change the, su uh, change the subject. <laughs> Dad, I, I, I'm not going to let us get to Chris Bosch before I expose you for the thing that you admitted to me. Last week, you made an, a, a beautiful, shocking revelation that you just discovered what trending was right. last week. And you told me something this week that you're about to share. I don't even know if you want to share it, but I'm going to make you right now. I want you to share with the audience oh, the other thing well, that you experienced this week. Okay. As a preface, I want to say I, I don't <laughs> I don't know video games. You know, to me, a video game is the Ms. Pac-Man game I play in my game room. Look at you hedging it. Uh, well, I am hedging it because, uh, okay, uh, my wife and I are watching TV a couple of nights ago. There's a Father's Day related commercial where a father and a son, the father thanks the son for buying him these video headphones or whatever they are. And the two of them, not together, but in separate room, in separate places are playing the same video game against each other. And so I'm like, 
what the hell? And my wife explains to me that for years now, maybe decades, uh, there has been that technology where two people who aren't together can play the same video game. I didn't know that. <laughs> Greg Cody learned about two days ago that people can play video games in two different locations with each other. I mean, right. that is that is almost as bad as trending, I think. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's an honest uh, lapse. You know, I don't do that. Now, if I were seriously into Mortal Kombat and all these video games, and I still didn't know that, which is a funny visual, by the way, you being like an intense Mortal Kombat fan. Okay, that, is that a video game I just pulled in? No, it is. It's just funny visual, yeah. like you being a serious gamer and like with one of those chairs. It's ridiculous. Like, I'm just like and, and they spell combat with that. a K, which when I was in college, uh, I did a paper <laughs> in a journalism class, an English class, actually. Uh, and the theme of my paper was to rail against uh, intentional misspellings in advertising and products. And one of them definitely would have been Mortal Kombat spelled with a K. I hate all that stuff. What about the Beatles, Greg? Um, the Beatles, yeah. I mean, that would be up there, too. Yeah. Of course, you can justify that because the word B-E-A-T, beat, is a musical word. So it, at least there's a justification for that. But Combat with a K, justify that one for me. Let's get the Chris Bosch. Okay. No Father's Day talk? Oh, yeah. Happy Father's Day. Yeah, you too, kid. All right, let's move on. <laughs> this is like our as big a guest as we've had recently, right? Like, I'm trying to think of the biggest guests we've had. I mean, I think it's uh, I think it's one of the biggest. It may be the first legit Hall of Fame caliber athlete we've had on. Uh, and and more than that, Chris Bosch is a is a great guy. I, I really respect him a lot. He's erudite. He's well read. He's got a sense of humor. He's great. Good job to whoever, whichever one of you two cut up that picture of him laughing at one of my jokes. That was just beautiful. Oh, wait, did I do that? Yeah, I did do that. That was a... Uh, Thank you, Chris. Just him. Good job, just, Chris. Yeah, thanks. Appreciate that. Do you hear that? That's that loud, loud engine, engine guy. guy. That's loud engine guy. The worst. You hate loud engine guy. This guy that you just heard, I'm telling you, every day, once a day at least, this guy feels that he like makes the turn out of the neighborhood and he just, it's like, dude, there's a speed He's bump. in a Mustang, like, isn't he? It's always a Mustang. I don't know, honestly. I. I I want to know. I've, I've always just heard it. I have yet to see the car, so I I, I hate loud engines. Okay, I, I the worst. I, I seldom weigh in on your crusade because I happen to have a car with a throaty sound to it. So yeah, I, but you're not an asshole with like in neighborhood. Like you do sometimes do it when you want to like show off and like leaving, and people are like watching you right. leave. But like generally, you're not a guy that like revs his thing loud in neighborhoods. That's true. Like, I'm so. too old to rev. Quite frankly, you're also too old to have that car. You may be right. It's hard. Like, can you even get out of it? <laughs> Getting in is actually harder than getting out, oddly enough. Uh, when, when I get in, there's there's terrific torque on my left knee. That's what she said. Uh, someday I'm going to just collapse and drive myself right to the hospital. Anyways, let's get to Chris Bosch. All right, here he is, the Bosher. <laughs> Does, has anyone ever called him the Bosher other than you? Never. <laughs> Not even once. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. We're uh, thrilled to be joined today with uh, a guy who needs no introduction, but is going to get one anyway. Uh, <laughs> 11-time NBA All-Star, 
with Toronto and, of course, Miami, two-time NBA champion, Olympic gold medal, uh, newly minted basketball Hall of Famer, husband, proud father of five, musician, and now an author uh, with his new book out, Letters to a Young Athlete. Uh, that's a long-ass introduction for a man of accomplishment. Uh, thanks, Chris Bosch, for joining us. Really appreciate it. Man, thanks for having me. I appreciate, I appreciate the long, uh, long introduction. I appreciate uh, well, it. Well, uh, in, in, in the spirit of transparency, you see your book uh, at my right shoulder here. and the it's chances a hack, are about, hack move by you. The, the chances are about 70% that at some point during this conversation, I'm going to elbow it over unprofessionally and knock it on the ground. So. <laughs> Chris, uh, I've been seeing you everywhere uh, talking about this book lately. Uh, it, it's almost like you've had another child. You birthed the book. How does that feel? It, it feels great. Uh, we've put a lot of work into it, um, a lot of labor, no pun intended. Um, I wanted to I wanted to feel that way. I, want, I think you should feel that way when you uh, release some into the world. You should be a little exhausted, a little tired, a little motivated, uh, a little frightened. Um, you know, we've been all of those things, but most importantly, um, if you've read my book, putting in the work, that's, uh, that's the number one priority if you want to be successful. So I've been doing that. I've been trying to live by, uh, my own examples, um, with this. And of course, that's the other part to it. Um, you have to get it out there. You have to do work. You have to put the work in the crafting it, having the teamwork and then, then actually getting it out there so people can see it to purchase it. You know, that's a whole other uh, uh, realm of opportunity, but it's been great. Um, I have no complaints and, you know, we're just it, it feels good to have a goal and to be working towards something again. I can say that. What's the question you've gotten on this book tour that you're most tired of? <laughs> I don't want to say I'm most tired of it. I say the most consistent is like, well, why did you write it? So like our first the question, number one. Yeah, <laughs> right. The first question, which I totally understand, right? It's uh, people are used to seeing me in a uniform, uh, playing basketball, and there is um, a mode to re-education for everybody, myself included, to kind of take in this new information. So I'm not opposed to it. I don't. I don't get tired of it. Um, it's not like basketball when you know, and people are like, "Well, what are, are you frustrated out there?" Like, yes, <laughs> I get tired of that question. Yes, I'm frustrated. You see it, we're losing. You know, it's <laughs> it's um, <laughs> it's a, it's a different space. Well, uh, Christopher and I, uh, before you came on, had a little bit of an argue argument. There was some tension in the room because I wanted to ask you something that he didn't want me to ask you because he thought it might be uh, the question you're the most tired of. But I I have to ask it because I see a link between. Uh, the the way your basketball career ended unexpectedly before you wanted it to, and the fact that that you ended up writing this book uh, partly because you you had the time to write the book, you weren't worrying about mm -hmm. going to a shoot around every morning and stuff like that. Right. Um, right. Chris, when when you look back on the way it ended for you, uh, how how tough was it to to make peace with that and to find peace with it? Because I fully think that. Uh, your game would have aged so well in the NBA. You'd be playing today at 37. I'd be playing for sure. I could, I could maybe squeak out a couple more years, you know, <laughs> uh, just stand over there and shoot it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I, I, it was a part, I did have to get over it. It was very tough, extremely tough. Um, it took years. It took, uh, you know, two, around two years and some change um, to move on. And yeah, it was tough. I mean, I, I, I felt cheated. Um, slighted, like the world was against me. Why me? 
all, anything you can make right. up. You, you, you know, those uh, emotions we all do. Sure. I felt them. I felt them all. And I eventually had to get over it in time. Time helped me get over it. My family, my wife, my kids, they helped me get over it because, you know, you can't really think about those things when you're packing lunches for class tomorrow. Right. You know, so I had to I had to move on. And that gave me those other things to kind of put my time into. And another thing you alluded to, like, I didn't know how much time I was given in the basketball. That's all I ever did. So when I wasn't doing it anymore, when I didn't have any weights, no film, no shoot around, even naps, everything was for basketball. It was this whole world of just space and time, and I had to get used to it. Was I right that that was another one of the questions you've gotten a lot throughout this? No, nah, well, I've gotten it a lot. I've gotten it a lot. Yeah, for sure. How did? How was it after? Because, yeah, a lot of people, I mean, I, I guess, like to a lot of people, I'm popping up. Very interesting. Yeah, no, nah, it, it was tough. Let me, let me not beat around the bush. It was the hardest thing. I thought winning a championship was the hardest thing I ever did in my life. No, that by far. Not playing basketball and just – Yanking the plug out, that was the that was the hardest thing uh, by far. Yeah, because you fought a couple of years uh, to, to still play. You, you weren't ready mm-hmm. to say right away, I'm done. You you worked and, and saw specialists and, and did everything in your power to maybe get back on that court, right? Oh, yeah. We, we didn't leave a stone unturned. And that kind of, that's why I'm satisfied and content with the way things happen, because it's not like I didn't give it the old college try. Right. We tried until I got tired of it. And I said, I can't do it anymore. And then, you know, just the things happen and it just, you know, I just moved on. And I knew, I knew after a while that I wasn't going to play. Now, not that, you know, you were ever thinking that this might happen to you, but when you saw what happened with Christian Erickson this past week, the soccer player, I don't know. Yeah. Like, like that was just so scary. And I'm sure that when the team, the Miami heat were not wanting you to play, that's the kind of thing that they were envisioning. And I'm just wondering if like there was any, when you saw that happen to him, if there was any kind of like, did you link those at all? Yeah. I mean, I always link them. Anytime I see somebody get hurt out there, especially with something like that, which we haven't seen that at least in, in major sports on, on national television. Right. I was scary. And yeah, I'm sure that's what the heat were thinking the whole time. That's what Pat and Mickey and those guys were thinking. And, and I'm younger and I want to play. And and of course I was, I was still 31 at the time, 32 years old. I still um, had a lot left at the time. My body felt good. Um, I was in the best condition I had ever been since winning the championships. I'm, I'm getting ready for a run. I, I, I felt that team was good enough to compete for a championship that we were on. So I was so excited. I said, man, if we can, if we can have some success without Bron, oh, this will do so much for my career. You know, it's just like going through the whole thing, and then it just didn't happen. But you know, life is more important. Um, it's it, it was it's always easy for uh, those on the sidelines to say, well, you need to think about this, and you know, as opposed to playing. And at the time, it's just it's hard to take in. But you eventually come to the realization that um, um, life is more important. Being a father is more important, and I had to come to the realization that I had my time. It's not like it was a couple years. I played professionally for 13 years on top of the countless, countless hours of, of amateur basketball. So I can't complain one bit. I'm happy the way it turned out. I wonder if you could have written or would have written this book if you weren't informed by your own experience as a, as a parent, as a father. I don't think so. Um, that being a father puts you in that whole, it's a whole other ball game. Um, and 
And to be frank, I, I tested some of these theories that I'm talking about on my kids. Mm -hmm. right. <laughs> you know, I want to, it's like, yep, that's not working. Let me write that in a notepad. We'll X <laughs> that one out, you know? And, <laughs> right. <laughs> and, you know, that's, that's the most important job that I have yeah. is uh, being a husband and a father. So um, with these principles, I try to make sure that I'm doing them because you got to practice what you preach, right? But most importantly, being patient with them, you know, uh, talking to them. I haven't made it mandatory reading for them yet. That'll maybe come <laughs> next year. Uh, but <laughs> it's definitely been a, a great experience getting, being able to try and find my way after basketball. That's pretty much what it is. Right. Finding that other thing after ball, writing, you know, getting into that mode of, writing, reading notes, editing, and then the kids being in the house and coming in the office and be like, dad, what are you doing? And stuff like that. But being that example that um, they need to follow, that's uh, that's my job 24-7 now. I want to get a little wacky with you here. Did you see the news story about the guy who was swallowed by a whale and then <laughs> lived? Who, Jonah? That's just in the Bible, ain't it? What's that? <laughs> yeah, oh. that's old news. <laughs> <laughs> oh no! Like a guy, a guy, a guy in the Northeast got like fully engulfed by a whale, where he saw all black, and then somehow ended up surviving. <laughs> and I'm wondering, just if you like the scariest incident you've ever had with an animal. Scariest instances I've had. I haven't had a scary. Well, my scare. Well, my, my scariest instance was an with an animal. We went on a safari. I wasn't involved, but we were in the in the truck. Mm -hmm. They have these trucks on safaris. And we saw um, a team of lions eating a carcass. Oh, wow. <laughs> like 10 feet away. Real life shit right there. Whoa. Crazy. Jeez. And yeah, I, man, what year was that? I can't remember exactly what year it was. It was like 2014, 2015, somewhere in there. But yeah, that was probably the scariest thing I had ever seen. And I mean, you know, they're doing their thing. They're, they're not really bothered, but... I mean, we probably watched them for an hour. Oh, it was like awesome. real life Discovery Channel. Just it's like you can't. It's so terrible, but it's life, and right. and you're just caught up into it. But it's a part of it, and and they're eating. And it was actually, I think it was a lion feeding her cub, lioness feeding her cubs. You know, they were all, oh boy, they were getting it. Wow, <laughs> Chris, um, tell us a little bit about your uh, interest in in music. You're more than just interested. You are a musician. I think you've got a song on. I'll talk about that a little bit. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, those, that was one of those other outlets as well um, that helped me. Um, speaking of my Southern Florida brother, uh, Rico Love, um, he, he, I mean, he took me under his ring right away and just we became friends and, and, and I wanted to learn how to do other things. Um, the first time um, when I had my scare with blood clots, I said, man, what else do I love? I need to put my time into that as well. Music was definitely one of them. And, you know, just trying to be more of a producer, more of an executive, you learn how difficult the game is, how challenging day-to-day um, -day decisions can be. And really just getting music out, that is hard, but it's something that I love doing. Um, most of my friends are musicians now, it's crazy. Wow. And I've just been trying to pick up those skills and just get better at it because I love doing it. Do you ever wonder about the feedback you're getting? Like maybe at the start of like, I'm a cool basketball player and I'm hanging out with these cool people. So like, are they, do they really like my music or are they just telling me they like my music? Cause, cause they want me to like, like them. Cause I'm cool. There is a mode to that. There definitely is a mode to that, but 
I put enough time into it to where if I play some of my music, it, the funny thing is when they get to look and it's like, yo, hey, that's pretty right, good. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> Not that it's like the best out or anything, but it's like, oh, I thought it was going to be trash. Yeah. You know, it's like that's how it usually goes with athletes trying to do music. Right. And, and I, <laughs> I, you know, I always found that kind of funny. Uh, but that's the thing that made me love it because I love watching people's face just look at me just crazy because the music is decent that's cool you know what i mean cool. right right yeah, it's like don't act too surprised i can play yeah it's like okay yeah chill, chill out it's, right. you know it's, it's not that good right. you, chris you play um you play bass or guitar i i play i play guitar decently uh i'm an aspiring bass player um it one of those it's one of those things like oh okay music you pick up everything you don't just say oh yeah i'm with the keys, it's everything because I, you know, again, I hang out with people that play the bass right. and the keys and the guitar and they produce and they write, you know. So, um, yeah, I, I got, man, I got a bass and a guitar down. I got both downstairs. You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> I, I wish we had more time with you. Would ask you to put on an impromptu concert for us. But, uh, um, we're... Go ahead, Chris. I'm, I'm wondering. Uh, now, uh, in the in the realm of conversation of you getting a lot of the same questions, uh, I hear you're often asked about, you know, when was the most tension between the big three? When did you guys disagree with each other the most? I'm honestly yeah. curious the opposite. I'm wondering, like, when you felt the closest bond with, like, Dwayne and uh, maybe all your teammates, but specifically the big yeah. three. Like, what was, like, the moment where it was, like, this is as close, this is as good as it's going to get? Um, uh, we were struggling while well, I was struggling in the playoffs during the back to back year. Um, you know, it was getting harder and harder. We were in a dog fight with Indiana. I want to say it was before game seven or during sometime during the course uh, of the series, we were all back in Miami. I'm pretty sure it was before game seven and all the fellas came over and the wives, they came over, uh, to hang out and just have a dinner and, um, D, Bron, UD, um, they all like gave me encouragement. They took me not to the side, but just was like, hey man, keep playing. We believe in you and stuff like that. And I'm like, oh wow, that's really nice guys. I'm cool, I'm cool, thank you. I'm straight, I know I'm playing like crap right now. We'll be fine, you know what I mean? But right. I I'll get out of it. And just, just having drinks and hanging out, you know, with the fellas and the wives. I mean, that was that, that, was that moment to where it's good as it get because it wasn't about basketball. There were enough, no cameras or anything there. It was just friends trying to get the best out of each other. Who's the life of the party at that? Like maybe obviously this was before a game, so maybe you guys aren't getting after it, having as much fun as you might, but just on that team, when everyone would get to the get get together, who's the life of that party? I'm gonna go with I mean, you know, it was always a collective effort, but Brian for sure. Really? uh yeah so there's no the, there's no like i get enough attention on the court like i'm just gonna sit back it's like no at the party too like let, let nah he he just he loves having a good time and telling jokes and he's extremely funny and then if because if he's going then ray will get going then d will get going and you d it's just like kind of just this collective that's what i loved about that that was the best team ever just that that the a good time was just a you know a moment away you know because guys were just hilarious we loved um cracking jokes and talking with each other and yeah that was one of the things yeah if 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 Brian is going that makes it easy for everybody else yeah. so it just 
you know, it, it, we had very good times, a lot of laughs for sure. <laughs> now, we're running out of time with you. I just want to spitball. I know, I'm sure my dad's mad at me for jumping in here again. Uh, Blockbuster <laughs> Video was your first job. I, I, I've oh, learned. you did your research. So I'm wondering <laughs> if uh, you had any funnier job. Not that that's a funny job, but just like other jobs of note or what was the, did you have any crazy memories while working at Blockbuster? Um, just customer service sucks. You know, I think it builds character. <laughs> <laughs> being a 16 year old in customer service is like oh my god man you know it's and the funny thing about blockbuster is you work there enough it's an it's a well back in the day it's it's it was a neighborhood business so you see the same people and so you would watch the guy come up and drop off their movie late right like two days late three <laughs> days <to> late <laughs> and then come back in the next day and i'll tell you oh, you got a late fee <laughs> what what that was every time it's like dude i told you wednesday before noon they upped it to five day rentals what are we talking about but you know you can't do that but yeah that was like the main and that was like damn near every day yeah. you know it's just somebody people getting mad over late fees which that was a business model that uh you know was soon eliminated after that but good times blockbuster video good times yeah it was good times man <laughs> Chris, we could uh, we could talk with you for two hours, but uh, I know you've got uh, other things to do, and uh, and we want to mention again the book is called Letters to a Young Athlete, available wherever you do your books. And by the way, uh, I didn't do the Amazon thing. I actually walked into a Barnes and Noble and bought this book. I did the retail thing. So how about that? Love it. Hey, everybody, support your local bookstores, and Amazon is great. There you go. Order from there too, but support the local bookstores keep that stuff alive that is uh that's awesome that's so cool <laughs> hey chris uh sincere best wishes uh for the book and and moving forward uh you've had a, a such a great career in basketball and more than that uh, i think everybody who's ever met you uh thinks you're a genuine nice guy and that speaks so well of you so congrats for everything and uh thanks thanks again for joining us i appreciate you thanks for having me right. thanks chris It's the sight, the sound, the smell of it, morning, night, or noon. It's the feeling you're always welcome, and when you leave, we'll see you soon. It's the place you always go to, when you're with friends or you're all alone. It's the taste of Nellie's Diner, the place you feel at Step back in time when you step into Nelly's Diner. It's the only place in town to taste Wild Bill Cody's Bison Burger, Deep Fried and Nana's 100-Year-Old Lard. Or try a tall stack of our award-winning PFBI pancakes. Dig into the signature Thanganathang Salad. Or try an Uncle Dick Footlong. Anything you want and anytime you want it, we got it. All served up with a free side of smiles. We are right where we've been for 60 years at 1440 Zagaki Street downtown. Nelly's Diner. It's the taste of home you never had because your mom sucked at cooking. It's the taste of Nelly's Diner that makes you feel at home. Hey, thanks again to Chris Bosch. Uh, good stuff. Really uh, appreciate you coming on, Chris. Uh, and uh, you just heard Nelly's Diner, uh, our ad for that. And, and that reminds me, we have a brand new sponsor on this week, uh, beginning this week. And it's exciting. Very exciting. It's Brill Cream. Brill Cream. Hey, cool cats, tired of suffering from prolonged virginity? Want to attract the kittens like a fancy lad? Well, a little dab will do you, and two will do you double. Brill cream. Guys, put your hands on your tube and squeeze. 
cream. Dabbing it. Real cream, a little dabbing to you. Real cream, what's the matter to you? Fancy lad must always look so debonair. Real cream, a little dabbing to you. Real cream, what's the matter to you? All the ladies love a lad with real cream. Real cream. <laughs> All right, <laughs> Brill Cream, <clears throat> a little dab will do me. I'll tell you that. I don't have enough hair for two dabs. Uh, Brill Cream <laughs> is, is a big uh, memory for me, not because I used it that much as a kid. I was a little young for the heyday of Brill Cream, but my brother, my older brother, <laughs> Uncle Dick Cody, of course, he bathed in Brill Cream. I mean, he always had the slick back hair. So that's. Uh, I'm glad we were able to pick up Brill Cream as a sponsor because that's an homage to my older bro. Uh, we're really trending uh, young with our with our advertisement <laughs> right, partners. Well, you know, everybody eats. That's why there's Nelly's Diner. Hey, audience, are you hip to Brill Cream? There you go. <laughs> <laughs> it's coming back like vinyl, man. It's coming back like vinyl records, I swear. Get on the wave. I feel like we're about to get younger with this next segment. <laughs> well, I tell you what, probably not. Um, you know, I did a Mount Gregmore a while back on my all-time favorite sitcoms. But this time we're going micro. Um, this category is... Please tell me we're in the decade that I was born in. Just no, we're really not. We're in. Uh, we're in the decade that I grew up in. Oh, God. The 1960s. <laughs> this is the Mount Gregmore of 1960s sitcoms with a most ridiculous premise. Yeti, you can handle this. I'm going to sit this one out. First, our honorable mention of ridiculous premise 60s sitcoms, a tie between the Munsters and the Adams Family. The Munsters were more cartoony, silly, and the Adams Family a bit darker and creepier, but they were joined at the hip as the spooky oddball families on your block. Now, the number five sixties ridiculous premise sitcom. Wait, so this is so this is just a top seven this week. Uh, Mount Greg Moore's top five. You have a tie for <laughs> right. Like like why isn't this just Greg's top seven? Uh, because sometimes uh, uh, honorable mention is only one. So here's number five, Bewitched, in which Elizabeth Montgomery plays a suburban witch who makes magical things happen with a wiggle of her nose. One year later came a ripoff called I Dream of Jeannie with Barbara Eden as a blonde genie in a bottle. Number four, The Flying Nun. It's centered on a community of nuns that included one sister, Bertrell, played by Sally Field, who could fly when the wind caught the large headpiece of her habit. I want to know who else has heard of The Flying Nun, because I haven't even heard of that one, and I know, I know some old-time stuff. Nobody has yet. <laughs> I mean, I think that's the charm of this bit, but I'm, I'm not really How sure. do we know this isn't just what from, like, Greg's dream last night? Uh, no, this this actually happened. Sister Bertrell, she made a habit out of flying. But seriously, number three, <laughs> Mr. Ed, the name of a Palomino horse that talked so white. only to its owner, Wilbur, played by Alan Young. The horse, named Bamboo Harvester, portrayed Mr. Ed and sounded like this when he spoke. Wilbur! But would stand stone silent when Wilbur asked him to speak to anybody else, making people <laughs> think Wilbur was crazy. Side note, there was an actual thoroughbred named Bamboo Harvester who ran two races in 2009, earning zero dollars. <laughs> Number two. I can't, I, I can't get over your habit joke. It was too good. Thank you. Sorry. <laughs> we'll put that on continuous loop uh, for the last five minutes of the podcast. <laughs> Number two, my favorite Martian. 
in which Ray Walston plays a human-looking 450-year-old anthropologist from Mars who crash lands in the United States. The Martian refuses to reveal any of his powers except to the man who took him in, an L.A. newspaper man played by Bill Bixby. And now, the number one 60s sitcom with the most ridiculous premise, My Mother the Car. That's right. (laughs) Jerry Van Dyke, Dick's younger brother, plays an attorney who is shopping for a car and buys a dilapidated 1928 Porter touring car in his garage at home. The man hears the car start talking to him in a woman's voice. And the car turns out to be a reincarnation of his deceased mother, Gladys. The show lasted one season in 1965 and often is called the worst sitcom in TV history. (laughs) The Flying Nun made a habit of it. That's Mount Greg Moore. God, I hope Chris Bosch is not listening to this. <laughs> you never know. He might have grown up on Nick at Night like I did and, and know half of these. That's how I know them. I mean, there you go. I would have voted my three sons in the Donna Reed show, but that's because I get hot for Donna Reed every Christmas. But that's a story for another time. <laughs> well, yeah, but here, Yeti, I, I want to mention think about what you just said. The premise was silly as premises. Uh, Donna Reed and uh, my three sons were very. Uh, more standard premises. They were family-oriented shows. You're right. Uh, I missed that part. Yeti was just trying to flex his 60s sitcom knowledge. That's all he was doing there. Like, Leave it to Beaver uh, was real life. Right. Oh, Christ. Can we just end this segment already? <laughs> okay. All right. Hey. I mean, Christ. All right. Join me next year, or next week, because we'll, <laughs> we'll reel it back to the 50s. That's when these listeners are going to be back next, next year after this segment. <laughs> oh, Lord. No, because, uh, because they all love Chris Bosch and should after that. Pick up his latest book, uh, Letters to a Young Athlete. Uh, Thanks, Chris, again for joining us. Thank you, most of all, podcast family. Appreciate your support every week. Subscribe, follow, review, you know, ruminate, uh, do whatever you have to do to a podcast, and we appreciate it every time. Uh, Thanks a lot, everybody. See you next week. Bye-bye. What's the naughtiest thing you'd want someone to do to your podcast? I can't say it. (laughs) A word comes to mind. But I can't say it. Wait, don't say it. No, I don't want to say it. I don't even. I don't even know what I was like expecting there. But I think as soon as I yeah, no, I don't want to go there. Use your imagination, everybody. <laughs> I'm not big on self editing, but every once in a while it comes in handy. Editing. <laughs> That's right. Good night, everybody. <laughs>